Well hello my friends, this is CK from the Mirths and Monsters podcast. Join me, my companion Finn, and my occasionally satanically possessed cat Ray Puny mortals. as we investigate the real truths behind some of the most wonderful creatures you can imagine. Are trolls really that thick? Or is it just bad press? Are leprechauns really drunken bums? Uh. Sort of. But there's a lot more to find out. All you need to do is tune in to Mirths and Monsters podcast with me and Finn. Till next time, slancha your good health. jealous of your picture that you posted today in our group chat of you and Emily being out in oh yes beautiful fall foliage were you drinking pumpkin spice like what was that 100% I think um that is part of the reason I believe I was invited on today is I am the pumpkin spice rep (laughs) um for this podcast because we we can't be without it it was it was certainly there's been a few times uh where morning Zumba classes no one's showed up and that's me if my roommate is home Emily or my roommate um then we both kind of just like, ah, well, we ain't going to do it then. And so that's usually time to get coffee and walk outside if it's good weather, which it was today. Yeah, we have to talk about this. So Casey does, she represents the pumpkin spice. She did the beautiful pumpkin spice latte art on our Instagram. And you also run the weekly Zumba that honestly, I feel like I'm just... Each day that isn't Zumba day, I'm just going, okay, when's the next Zumba day? Because it's so fun. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you enjoy it. I'm especially, I I am a Halloween fan and I am especially enjoying Zumba this month where I've I've, um, insisted everyone do Halloween uh, Zumba songs with me, which is just, I make everyone like listen to a Ghostbusters remix with Missy Elliott and we dance. (laughs) But the Time Warp was my favorite one because I have nostalgia for that. I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I was worried that with the time warp, um, if there's an official dance, that what I did ain't it. Like I was like, this is what I think the time warp could be if you were trying to work out. There's much more fitness involved in yours. And I was feeling myself while we were doing it. And I kept getting off what was supposed to be going on. There have been a few times while leading Zumba class that I get lost in the sauce and I forget the next move and I just don't do it. Like that is that has happened. So this is why, uh, you know, uh, this is not a professional course. This is this is this is Zumba among friends. <laughs> Speaking of professionals, I'm going to do it. I'm Rowan Hall. This is the Willing and Fable podcast, a podcast where we talk about ancient myths, local legends, why stories have staying power and very professional things. And you might recognize there is a different voice chatting with me today. Uh, Tracy couldn't be here this week. She has a non-COVID health issue to take care of. Don't worry, she's totally on the mend. She wanted me to assure everyone that she will be back as soon as possible. If you're on our Discord channel or the internet in general, please feel free to say hi to our sweet spooky girl. Send her cryptid sightings, paranormal blogs. She'll love it so much. But in the meantime... I have an amazing co-host jumping on this week who Tracy and I both adore. Casey, who the heck are you? (laughs) (laughs) 
my name is uh, Casey Ropsky. I guess that's another reason maybe I was asked because Casey rhymes with Tracy. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I do Zumba classes. I I do that that D and D uh, and doodles on my iPad. That's 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 my vibe. You're being really humble because <laughs> I hear from every single person in our other campaign that you're a great DM. That is very kind. I I, I think I, I know everyone is familiar with Tim, who uh, mm-hmm. was a guest host on a on a previous episode, and uh, it, I feel like Tim is is a very very good DM. DM very talented, um, and and I have a way more chaotic energy, I think, to my campaigns <laughs> where uh, you can do whatever you want. I don't really listen to the rules. We, we make them up. We make them up as we go. <laughs> the rule of cool. I like it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the rule of cool. The ro- rule of chaos is a little bit. Uh, I think we had in the last one, we like made a fantasy insomnia cookie. Just slap the word fantasy in front of anything and that pretty much will fly in, a, in mine. <laughs> so basically, this podcast is just don't, going to co-host with all of the dms that i know slowly yeah. but surely yeah i refuse to feel bad about it <laughs> i yeah i i think that's you know dm energy i think is is coming into the into the podcast and, and i think it, it does correlate with like an interest in legends and mythos and uh fantasy fast food restaurants i think that probably all all fits in <laughs> i'm just trying to imagine for some reason like chipotle for werewolves Oh, Chipotle for Werewolves is a really great pitch. Uh, there was a werewolf town that they went into, um, and and they're doing great now. So that's, that's <laughs> if you were oh at all concerned. Yeah, they're doing they're doing good. I so badly want to play Ten Candles, which is not D anD D. It's a different RPG. I really want to play Ten Candles for Halloween. Oh Have you God, heard of it? Not even a little bit, Rowan. So 10 Candles is a game, and I won't go into the whole thing, but basically you take 10 little tea lights, oh. and you light one, and you start, and it's very it's a very serious kind of game. Um, mm. And, <laughs> yeah, not your vibe. <laughs> um, but basically, the scene that you're in, when the tea light blows out, it's over. You don't get to continue, and you have to go on to the next thing. And the only thing that is for sure is that by the time the last tea light goes out, everyone's dead. No. So there is no surviving. Oh, well, that sounds sad. <laughs> it sounds so spooky and Halloween Okay, it does sound Halloween. I mean, there is that game. Um, oh, God, I always confuse it, with, confuse it with The Haunting of Hill House. It's like The Haunting of the House on the Hill. Ooh, something like that. It, is, is that it, the one where the mansion can be remade in totally yes, different ma'am. ways? Yes, I ma'am. never call it the same game twice oh, to you. my utter shame. Yeah, it, it's a very difficult name, despite being very simple, I assume, because I cannot remember the real name. But that game is I very similar. I play that similar. game all the time. Oh, you do? I could Google it right now, and I'm not going to. But look in our recommendations page, and I can promise it'll be there, everyone. It, it is a gr- Yes. So the few times I have played it, what's actually... Uh, I, I love the little character cards that they've gotten there. But, but in the same way, I feel like every time I played it, everybody dies. So I'm like, great, I fell in love with this... Um, himbo character that only speaks in Shakespeare quotes and loves baseball and now he's dead and I'm very sad about it I get attached to them you should bring him into D&D okay but I digress I always we're talking about spooky season Casey you were kind enough to join us for our third episode because if I'm correct your story comes with some extra added like bonus personal fun 
So uh, everybody has to sit back, relax, and uh, buckle up because we are actually going to explore two of the most haunted locations in the United States. Some would say the world. But first, a little preliminary information. We're talking about ghosts or haunts or apparitions, poltergeists, phantoms, specters, spirits, spooks, shades, and wraiths. Those are all words to describe those creatures commonly considered part of the folklore tradition. According to Oxford Languages, a ghost is a, quote, dead person which is believed to appear or become manifest to the living, typically as a nebulous image. If you recall episode 8, where I learned the story of the Fox sisters, the possibility of souls manifesting as wispy, translucent, amorphous, or even unseen beings has a long history in the United States, as well as around the world. In more recent times, the Pew Research Center performed a 2009 study in which 18% of Americans said that they have seen a ghost. Casey, have you seen a ghost? Rowan, I have not. I have not seen a ghost, but I'm not, I'm not a naysayer. I, I, they could be out there. I've not seen one, but I have been on an official ghost hunt uh, in high school. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> um, my grandfather's house is from the Civil War. And uh, I, 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 of course, the memory is hazy, but I think the gist of it is the township like ghost hunting squad, because, of course, uh, wanted to investigate the house. My grandfather thought I might get a kick out of it. And I remember my friend and I went and we watched as they kind of did some ghost hunting, but they went so late at night we had to leave because it was a school night. I'm sorry. (laughs) You were getting a real life ghost education and you had to go home. It was a school night. Yeah. um, I think the gist of it, the the whole point was supposedly there was some treasure hidden in the house and they thought if they could speak with a ghost in the house that she might be able to direct them towards the treasure. No treasure was found. And I think the only ghost they thought they posit that they interacted with was a ghost cat. It was a black cat, and my grandfather did have a cat, but she wasn't black, so I was like, mm. Okay, so you got the treasure of your memories. Definitely worth it. I did get some treasured <laughs> memories out of that, but but no ghosts. Have, have you seen a ghost, Rowan? My house that I grew up in, that my parents still live in, was haunted when we moved into it, and then they left. I'm I'm just imagining the, the Gina Davis and... Alec Baldwin goes from Beetlejuice just like, oh, okay, bye, welcome to the house. And like, leave. Like, these sound like the friendliest ghosts in the world. How, how did you know it was haunted beforehand? Okay, so the house that I grew up in, uh, a local newscaster in my area had built for him and his wife. I, I, was, I was two when this all happened, so I hope I'm getting it right. But when we moved in, the whole front kind of living room area of our house is windows it's just all floor to ceiling windows Ooh. and they have these old-fashioned latches that you have to sell your soul to the devil to even get open and my parents would constantly argue with each other like why are you opening the windows because it would let out all the heat in the house Ooh. and both people would be like no i didn't do it and then my mom went away on a business trip and it was just me and my dad i was two i couldn't reach what do i know of about course. windows And all the windows opened in the living room. And occasionally, this old rocking chair we had would rock. And my parents just happened to meet someone 
I think at a Christmas party that knew the family and apparently the wife died in the house of cancer because she didn't want to spend her last days in the hospital. And they told my parents completely unprompted by them about the windows that she would sit in the living room and rock in the rocking chair. That's what they'd asked. But then she added that the woman liked to have all the windows open. I genuinely, I, I genuinely just felt chills go down my legs. Like, ooh, <laughs> that's spooky. And then she just like was like, actually, I'm out. No, no. Oh, it gets no, even no. cooler. Okay, oh, <laughs> so uh, maybe a year later, I don't know. My parents have a Christmas party. We have one every year. And everyone was in the living area, what have you, and hanging out. And all of a sudden, one of these windows flew off. Yeah, it flew off, which is crazy because truly to get them open, you have to pull a latch out and then yank the whole thing down and it just popped off. And there was this big, like actual wind and everyone at the party, multiple witnesses were shocked and confused. And after that, there was never anything with the windows or the rocking chair in the house ever again. My parents found out later from the family's son that that was the anniversary of her death. And they think that he came back, the the guy, to get his wifey. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even handle this right now, dog. We're just beginning the episode. This is insane. That is wackadoo. I, you know, most our houses had, most of my mom thought she heard someone getting a bowl of cereal at night and no one was there. Like, that's what we've got going on. <laughs> It was me. Sorry. I needed cereal. Yeah, I know. I was like, our ghost just loves cereal. So it's like, honestly, probably, probably was me. I mean, I'm like, it's no one was there, but maybe I was speedy. Maybe I was a speedy cereal gremlin. That sounds like me. I wish I'd prepped that story so I could have told it more spooky, but I just get so giddy about it that I'm not. (laughs) I I am, am very disappointed. I don't have any kind of ghost story, personal ghost story relating to that but i think maybe the closest that i've got is uh actually oh cue the spooky music last year this exact week yes i i visited uh, a very spooky place in san jose california so this week tracy actually selected the winchester mystery house for her ghost story and uh, just adding to the reasons i know uh, that i was lucky <laughs> enough to be asked to co-host today i believe is because i did get to go there um so little spooky of a coincidence that it was this exact same week a year ago uh, a little like most thoroughly don't turn off the podcast out of fear guys it, it, it's gonna be fine <laughs> um so so yes i'll be covering the winchester mystery house which is in san jose california um, and before I get to the ghosts of the Winchester house, I thought we might first want to get to know the house's creator, which is Sarah Winchester. Have you have you heard of Sarah Rowan? So I know a little bit about oh. this story. And embarrassingly, I live in California and have never visited. 2020 was supposed to be my year, but then there was a <laughs> pandemic. Um, I haven't heard of that. I don't know what you're talking about. So... I'm not going to give anything away, but I think I might know uh, enough for you to blow my mind with the actual facts. (laughs) Well, I will. I will like to. I will prepare for to have your mind be blown. So if we just start a little bit with Sarah Winchester. So Sarah was born in 1840 to an upper class family in Connecticut. 
Uh, her father, Leonard Pardee, managed the New Haven City Bathing House in town until he found steady work as a Finnish carpenter. And I did have to look that up. And it basically means that he was a specialist in, like, installing doors and stair banisters and molding. Essentially, he was a woodworker that specialized in home improvement. So that that's going to come into play later. So don't, don't forget that little fact there. Mm-hmm. Okay, noted. <laughs> so... The Party family was also a progressive home for the time, and uh, I don't know if we've covered Freemasons on this podcast so far. But, no, so do uh, it. Well, I, uh, I will leave you wanting more because I don't, you don't really get into it. So maybe, <laughs> oh, just maybe a future episode. But what I, what I will tell you is that uh, Sarah's uncles and cousins were even Freemasons. So the Party home was also a progressive home for the time, uh, and as such, Sarah was well educated, speaking over four languages and playing multiple instruments by the time she reached her teens. And to top it all off, she was so drop-dead gorgeous that she was nicknamed the Belle of New Haven. So uh, someone had to lock that down. I know. Uh, Very, very lofty title. Um, No one had seen her ankles, but they were sure that she was the most beautiful woman. Gorgeous ankles. We can only imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Thoroughly uh, enthralled by the idea of her ankles, she was married to William Wirt Winchester. I pretty much will only refer to him by his full name because I find that so very funny, Rowan. Uh, So William Wirt Winchester was the well-off heir to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. And at the time, the Winchester rifle was the first gun capable of firing multiple rounds without reloading. This was the gun that won the West, correct? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed it was. Uh, and I That's think part, my one fact. <laughs> I'm impressed by that because I, I didn't know that at all. But apparently it was. And it was famed for its use by Buffalo Bill, Annie Oakley, and even Teddy Roosevelt. And this made it, gun that won the West, uh, an unparalleled death machine for the time. And in fact, it was also an unparalleled money machine. Rowan. Yeah, just to be clear, when we're talking about won the West, we basically mean, no, we definitely mean stole land from yeah. people that already lived there through yeah, mass the indigenous murder. Yeah, Americans, 100%. <sighs> the, that exhausted sigh is going to come into play, I promise you. Okay. But don't you worry. <laughs> so after four years of well-funded marriage, William and Sarah had a baby girl. But unfortunately, as is typical for most horror stories, the happy family is short-lived. So practically a month after she was born, baby Annie Pardee Winchester died of a wasting disease. And in 1880, William's father also passed away, which left the company to William Wirt Winchester. Shortly after this inheritance, tuberculosis struck the Winchester home. And a few months later, William Wirt Winchester also passed away. Oh, wow. I know. All at, Kind of all at once. It was a lot of tragedy to take in. Uh, but it actually left Sarah very well off. So get ready to have, this is part part one of getting your mind blown. She received an inheritance of $20 million, and that would be around $500 million today. Yeah. I love that you did that conversion. <laughs> well, because I thought, that sounds like an awful lot. <laughs> it was. And in addition to that, she also received 50% of Winchester Company stock, which gave her around $1,000 a day in royalties. And if you'd like to know how much that is a day of kind of like, uh, uh, what's that thing when you get paid when you're a kid? Allowance. Yes. So she basically had an allow- a daily allowance of the equivalent of $26,000 a day to spend. Are you 
joking. <laughs> I'm not joking. And Rowan, this is before income tax. So uh, she's got an awful ton of money. In fact, after William died, William Wirt Winchester, that is, uh, Sarah instantly became one of the wealthiest women in the world. Not surprisingly. That makes me feel weirdly proud of her. <laughs> yeah, if this was a long con, th- that would be impressive. <laughs> Roll for charisma. <laughs> Roll for charisma. Yeah. I, genuinely, as I was doing this research, I was like, man, like, why aren't people thinking that she killed William Wirt Winchester? And then I was like, he did die of tuberculosis. Like, like there, I don't think you can uh, I don't think you can give someone tuberculosis. So I know this isn't <laughs> true, but I just love the idea I don't know. I'm turning her into a D&D character of her playing a rogue and she just flashes her ankles as like the beginning of Ooh. her long con. Could be. You know, that could that could be her calling. That could be her I'm calling. I'm sure card. she's a lovely woman. I'm not trying to say that she's a con artist. Well, I did. There were some points when I was reading it. I was like, was this a con? I'm like, no, you can't. You can't really fake tuberculosis, even if you've got beautiful ankles. So unfortunately, this is where the story gets a little spooky. But, but also a little sad. So as the story goes, Sarah was stricken with grief over the death of her daughter and her husband. And on top of that, Sarah was burdened with the knowledge that her new wealth was essentially blood money, uh, having been earned by causing others' deaths. So Sarah sought out Adam Coons, who was a New Haven medium, for help. And Coons confirmed what Sarah had feared and he told her that her family was being haunted by a curse. The many deaths caused by the Winchester rifles will forever burden her family. The only way to lift the curse was to move west, build a house, and never stop. Should the hammers ever cease, the spirits warned, you will die. Though, if she continued to build, she could, quote, live forever. And so she did what the psychic instructed. Sarah moved west, purchasing 160 acres of orchards in the Santa Clara Valley, now San Jose, California. Included in this purchase was an eight-room farmhouse, which was the beginnings of what we now know as the Winchester Mystery House. You scared yet? Well, you you said that I could ask questions here in the notes, mm-hmm. and I have a few. You have a few? And by a few, I mean one. Okay. <laughs> you can have a few. <laughs> no, no. I just... Is that story... Because, you know, everyone's heard that about the Winchester Mystery House. Is mm-hmm. that story, is there any documentation that it might be true? Or is that just some medium lore that has just grown and grown and grown? Oh, Rowan, it is It is definitely true. Are you scared? You can't see the face she's giving me right now. <laughs> it's true. I'm I'm so scared. I'm quaking in my boots. It's really true. She she spoke to this medium. <laughs> I want it to be true. Maybe it maybe it will be. Who knows? <sighs> you liar. All right. <laughs> Bu- buckle in, Rowan is all I can say. Oh, I also had a bonus fact. We can we can include this or not. Um, I want a bonus fact. All right, here's a bonus fact for you. Uh, it is also worth noting that Sarah had several relatives in the California area, many of whom traveled there during the 1849 gold rush. One of these relatives was Enoch Pardee, who, in addition to being an accomplished physician and politician, was also, quote, a prominent occultist. Enoch was a member of the Knights Templar Freemasons and the Bohemian Club. Now, I didn't know what the Bohemian Club was, so I looked a little deeper. And apparently it's an offshoot of Yale's secret society known as the Skull and Bone. <laughs> and the Bohemian Club's motto was, quote, weaving spiders come not here. Very spooky. 
And I'm honestly surprised Enoch doesn't come into play basically at all in most of the tellings of this story. I feel like she's got a lot of spiderweb imagery throughout the house. Weaving spiders come not here. I know, right? Pretty spooky. I want to be in a secret society. <sighs> I, I, another episode. <laughs> you get in. <laughs> But back to the house. In accordance with the medium's advice, the widow Winchester began to build. And in 1884, Sarah's crew of carpenters began to work around the clock, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And slowly but surely, the farmhouse was built into a seven-story labyrinth. Are you ready for some facts, Rowan? You buckled in, ready? I am. (laughs) All right. In its current state, the Winchester Mystery House has... 160 rooms, which span over 24,000 square feet, 2,000 doors, 40 stairways, 47 fireplaces, 17 chimneys, 6 kitchens, 13 bathrooms, and 10,000 windows, which, for reference, the Empire State Building only has around 6,500 windows. That's too many kitchens. <laughs> the kitchens is, is, the, is the part that got you there, huh? Yes. You know, I will be honest, on my tour, I think we saw maybe two kitchens. I I, I don't remember. I don't know what what qualifies as a kitchen, you know? Two kitchens doesn't feel like too many to me for some reason, but six. I guess when you're making a seven-story labyrinth and you're like, I got to just put some other rooms in here. I guess at one point you're like, if I want a midnight snack, that kitchen is basically a mile to the east. I need a kitchen right here. <laughs> and there's not the modern amenities. So you have to have cold storage. We did see a cold storage room. That was kind of cool. Did it have a body in it? It did. <laughs> you know what? It probably <laughs> did because when I did visit, obviously, it was in October. So they did have a lot of Halloween decorations up. Mm. So a lot of the tour, they'd be like, sorry for this fake skeleton here. Um, that's not a part of the house. Like, like they'd have to like move past some of the more sort of gaudy um spooky decor that they had um so there could have been a body in there uh i do not remember please ignore the body in the freezer that is basic like i'm sure our tour guide was exhausted of having to say like that's a fake that's a fake skeleton that's not (laughs) part of this oh but also worth noting though all of these rooms 160 rooms this is after an earthquake brought the mansion down from seven stories to only four so this is just the current standing there was a lot more Oh, hold mm-hmm. up. So there were more stories that just crumbled away? Oh, 100%. We're going we're gonna to talk a bit about the earthquake, but there, there were certainly more rooms. I was just talking about how nice it is to hang out in my closet earlier. <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> I, I will say, uh, in preparation for this, a few moments ago, I was just watching the Winchester movie that they made just to kind of fact check them a little bit. And there is a point in which parts of the house start falling apart. And I was like, I, I didn't finish the movie, so maybe they're going to claim it was the earthquake. But I was like, so help me. This is how they're saying the seventh story fell. Like, I was getting I was getting heated. I was like, no, it was an earthquake. But but we will touch on that. So, so continue along. I know hearing this grandiose mansion, that's not really wildly surprising for the exceedingly wealthy. Uh, but what sets the Winchester Mystery House apart from any other mansion is its haunted reputation, which we will touch on, and its enigmatic architecture. 
So for example, there is a stairwell that leads straight into a ceiling. There are bars on interior windows. There are skylights that are built into the floors. And perhaps most famously, there is a door to nowhere, which would give anyone who walked through it a one-way ticket to a two-story fall. Almost like it was designed to confuse. And as some theorize, that was the point. As Adam Coons had warned, Sarah was never to halt construction on her home or else the ghost cursing her family would kill her. So she never stopped building. But unsurprisingly, it was difficult to find an architect with similar devotion. So after several failed architectural consultants, Sarah took up designing the home herself. Though, some speculate that the design was not truly created by herself. According to legend, Sarah actually got her architectural advice through mediums. These local medians would contact, quote, good spirits, who would then advise Sarah on how best to confuse or appease those that haunt her. As such, Sarah supposedly designed her home to be a maze. So let's get into it and see if we can find our way out. Yes, ma'am. She's raising her hand. Thank you. Not to slow your trajectory. Please do. But I feel as if she is designing a very unusual home Mm -hmm. and perhaps at this time period in which women were not encouraged to do such things someone is attributing her choices to dead people no it was definitely a ghost no it was because she wanted she had ghosts rowan (laughs) she she was cursed by ghosts (laughs) it's definitely the ghost all right (laughs) (laughs) clearly we can't cover every room in this mysterious home. So I'm going to cover the highlights and and try to put in some of what I remember from my tour. So why not start swinging with the seance room? Yes. The seance room, which is also known as the blue room, is one that I remember most clearly from my visit. This pastel blue room is located in the center of the house with no furniture to be found. Though there is a rack built into the wall with 13 hooks. The number 13 is relevant there. And all of the windows to the outdoors have bars on them. As the name suggests, this is theorized to be where Sarah would hold seances every night from midnight to 2 a.m. To start the seance, Sarah would ring the bell in the bell tower on her estate to alert the spirits that the seance was to begin. And then she would ring it again at 2 a.m. to alert them that it was over. According to legend, Sarah had the only key to this room in order to prevent anyone else from entering. It is my greatest failing not having been born as a rich widow back during the height of spiritualism. It, it definitely could have been a fun time. <laughs> we're here for a fun time, not a scientifically accurate time. No, no. We're here to talk to ghosts. <laughs> that's, 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 you want to have a party uh, in the late 1800s, you best be inviting some ghosts. Did it feel spooky when you went there? To, in that room, I mean. Uh, uh, no, it didn't. It didn't feel spooky at all. Like it felt like a, it felt like a blue room. It felt like a room that had no furniture in it, and it was weird. <laughs> Am I remembering that all most of her furniture was give it belonged to someone else after her passing because of the divvying up of the estate? Yeah, so um, when uh, Sarah passed away, uh, she gave everything basically to her niece, who uh, we will talk about later. And her niece kind of just took what she liked 
and then put everything else up for sale. So all of the furniture that is in was in the house when I went to go see it, uh, they did note, like, this is all replaced. Like, this is all stuff that we dug up and, and brought here that we think would have fit with the times and would have fit with the furniture she would have. But I think everything in the house, um, they had to buy. So how do they know that there was no furniture in the sand? Great room? question, Rowan. A great question that you ask. And we know it because it was the seance room. Oh, mm-hmm. my bad. Of yeah. course. It was for ghosts. So ghosts don't need to sit down. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you don't think eternal unrest deserves you a chair, Casey? Got, no, no. They have ghost chairs, Rowan. Oh. They don't need a oh. real chair. They've got ghost furniture. That was probably full of ghost furniture when I went in there. It's just not for me. Oh, could you imagine stubbing your toe on a ghost chair? <laughs> I, it would be awful. <laughs> That's it. That's all I can say about that. It Next time I trip over nothing, I'm going to blame ghost furniture. It, it was the ghost chair. <laughs> the the scariest ghost of all. Ghost all right. I'm sorry. I'm keep going. <laughs> all right. Back to back to the room. Despite there being only one way into the room, there were actually three ways out in a certain sense. Of the three exits, one is the door you first came through, so that entrance. One is a one-story drop into the kitchen, so the door just opens and uh, down you go. And the final door is a bit of a mystery. It leads to an unfinished room that has no handle on the other side of the door. So once you go through it, there's no coming back into the seance room. The only exit then from that unfinished room is a door that leads to one of the guest bedrooms. Ooh. Kind of kind of spooky. Is it possible that this house was utilized for illicit after-hours entertainment? Ooh. Ooh. I did not consider that. The only reason I think not is because there, it was kind of a Willy Wonka-esque situation where not very many people were seen coming in or out. Ah, okay. Because I'm just imagining coming to this room where there's no Ooh. furniture and only hooks <laughs> on the walls. And then when you're finished, it'll be put through this hallway where you a can't re-enter and there's a guest bed. <laughs> I That is I, an interesting idea. Uh, that one has not cropped up, but uh, maybe you're onto something, Rowan. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, uh, another thing I do remember from my tour is that that entrance, which is seemingly the most normal part of the room, was actually pretty weird. So when we first entered the room that you would then go into the seance room from, it looks like there's just a wardrobe in the room. But when you open that, uh, that would be the way into the seance room. So as a joke, the guide had one of my coworkers who was on the tour with me, and he was also the tallest member of our group. He was like, step into the wardrobe. And as you know, my coworker ducked to get in. He was found he was able to stand up fully because it was not really a wardrobe. It was a mini hallway that led into the seance room. A little uh, line which in the wardrobe-esque secret entrance sort of was the way into the seance room. And I, I don't find a lot of people noting that. I'm like, that was weird too. Like, I was like, That's oh, awesome. I know, right? Um, so so that was the, the seance room itself. Uh, I couldn't find any ghost stories in, and, and I, I didn't have uh, any, any personal ghost stories with that. But I think in itself, it is a spooky room in the house. The one room for spirits has no spirit stories? Okay. I couldn't find any. <laughs> I believe you. It's just... We tried. So another room in the house is the daisy bedroom. 
Uh, This was one of Sarah's favorite rooms in the house, and it was actually her bedroom for a period of time. And the name comes from these intricate daisy-stained windows on the outer walls. And each daisy, Rowan, had 13 petals. Kind of creepy. These windows were imported from Austria and made by the Tiffany Glass Company, which was the same for most of the stained windows in the home. But it was not the pretty windows that made this room significant. On the morning of April 18th, 1906, Sarah was sleeping in the Daisy Room when the infamous San Francisco earthquake hit. And for those who know what it means, I'm not one of them. This quake was an 8.3 on the Richter scale. Oh. Is that a lot? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's a good day to not be in California. Yeah. It's a good day to not be in a seven-story mansion, too, because it brought down the top three floors of her mansion, uh, and Sarah found herself sealed in the Daisy bedroom. It took her servants several hours to find her, and once they did, she had to be freed with a crowbar. And according to legend, Sarah interpreted the earthquake as a sign from the spirits that she had spent too much time on the front of the house, and so she had all 30 newly built rooms, including including the Daisy bedroom, boarded up. Ready for a ghost story? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> In recent what? years, <laughs> what, what are you, you don't think the ghost told her to board up all 30 rooms? Honestly, I'm stuck on the fact that the amount of wealth you have to have to be able to board up 30 recently built rooms in your house and be totally fine with the remaining six kitchens. <laughs> yeah, she was, uh, well, maybe she was bummed. I don't know. I guess when you're, you're, uh, ghosts, say like hey sarah we hate what you did with the place change it i guess you listen no i know you i know you're about to (laughs) drop something on me (laughs) (laughs) no there's ghosts (laughs) all right here's a here's a ghost story about the daisy room in recent years a tour guide named samantha was showing folks the daisy bedroom as she began to describe the room to her guests a very clear came from the small hallway outside the bedroom door. Assuming this was a guest who got lost, Sarah exited the room to call them inside. But no one was there. As Samantha's eyes adjusted to the darkened hallway, she did see something. The form of a small person gliding around a corner. She followed the form, and while she saw nothing, she heard the sigh again. Samantha was convinced that she had just encountered Sarah's ghost, possibly perturbed by the guests entering one of her favorite rooms that she had attempted to close off. Okay, I'll buy it. (laughs) Uh, Sure. I was in the Daisy Room, and, well, you could just, you could definitely tell that it, it it was busted. Like, the earthquake definitely messed it up. And supposedly you can see the crowbar indent in the door that they had to use to let her out. So if I was Sarah's ghost and i had tried to lock up this room and it was dangerous and a bunch of people were like ho, 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 let's go in i'd be pretty pissed too i'd be sighing in the hallway i'm always here for a dramatic exasperated sigh <sighs> <laughs> so maybe that's where maybe <laughs> if if samantha saw the flash of an ankle maybe she would have been able to confirm that it was sarah Listen, we're going on about this woman's angles, but maybe the thing that made her the Belle of New Haven was actually her beautiful personality. It, it could have been. I, 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 I imagine she was she was a very friendly woman. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I like to think of that. With stunning ankles. All right. Stunning continuing ankles. Continuing on. <laughs> All right. So the next room we're going to cover is actually several rooms, and it is known as the Hall of Fires. 
So the Hall of Fires, I know, uh, the Hall of Fires is central to the home and it is composed of three adjoining rooms that contain four fireplaces and three hot air registers. In the Hall of Fires is also a hand-painted Venetian sink that has 13 drain holes. Why keep rooms in the middle of a house so unusually hot? Perhaps, some theorize, to deter spirits from entering. Another feature of this hall was also to deter spirits, according to legend. One of the many ways to get to this floor is by a very peculiar stairwell, one of many in the home. This staircase has 44 steps, but each are only an inch in height. In all, the stairwell takes seven turns to climb only nine feet. Those interested in the paranormal might know that ghosts have difficulty rounding corners. So to prevent them from chasing her, Sarah must have created these stairwells with as many turns as possible. No, no. What do you mean? What are you talking about? There is no way that we are saying that dead folks who can come back as wispy manifestations have Mm -hmm. any trouble with corners at all. They can't do the dang corners. They don't get them. They can't do it. (laughs) And I'm sorry, is this room designed to heat the home? Is it just a... It's designed to heat those three rooms. Like those... It's going to get sweltering in there. Is it like a sauna? Is the goal health? No, the goal is to scare the ghosts away, Rowan. Exasperated sigh (laughs) in the hallway. To get rid of the ghosts. All right, it's ghost time. The Hall of Fires is often in need of maintenance and is not uncommon for the Winchester Mystery House staff to have to conduct repairs. So years ago, a repairman was working on a ladder when someone tapped his shoulder. As I'm sure you can guess, when he turned around, no one was there. He resumed working on the fireplace. But again, he felt the force of a strong hand pressing on his back. Still, he was alone. Spooked, the worker left the room, leaving this ghost laborer to handle the job. So a little more on that. During my tour, one of the few photos that they actually had to show us was of the contractors who worked on the estate. And in the little picture, the person on the far right is wearing white overalls and has a little handlebar mustache. And supposedly his name is Clyde. And according to legend, he is the ghost that most commonly haunts the estate, fixing the same appliances in death as he handled in life. So maybe uh, it was Clyde there. Well, that does kind of debunk the heat deterring the spirit. But they weren't on when he was fixing it, so. Oh, right. It was Clyde. Yeah. We're on to the last room in our tour, Rowan. The Grand Ballroom. So the ballroom was the pièce de résistance in the home. It is the biggest room in the house with the highest ceiling reaching 12 feet tall. In all, it cost more than $9,000 to build. But to put that into perspective, in the time, the average home like a whole house, cost around $3,000. So this one room in this mansion cost the same price as three three houses. But it's not even really putting a dent in her daily no, it's allowance. Barely, it's not even her daily. Yeah, exactly. Um, part of the reason this room costs so much is because it is the only room in the house to be constructed almost entirely without nails. Instead, they used wooden pegs. And this was for acoustical reasons, as one of the main focal points in the ballroom was a grand organ. So apparently it makes it sound nicer. And neighbors are reported to have heard the organ playing at all hours of the day and night. And this ballroom and organ were actually the inspiration for the ballroom in the Haunted Mansion. 
Are we to assume that one of Sarah Winchester's instruments she knew how to play was the organ? I guess, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like in my research, they noted that she could play the piano. I don't know how much carryover that has, but I feel like it would be silly for her to have an organ installed. But, but maybe she did that. And I don't know. That's a fair... I, I would assume she could play it, but I didn't find anyone explicitly saying Sarah definitely played the organ. I'm just trying to turn all the spooky things into Sarah being a badass things. <laughs> nah, this was probably to sing to the ghosts, I bet. So the ballroom's decor was as impressive as its construction. The intricate chandelier in the ballroom was imported from Germany. It arrived with 12 gas lamps, to which Sarah added one more, making it 13. (laughs) (laughs) Additionally, the nine wooden panels on the ceiling, except for the center one, each had 13 smaller panels. Though, your eyes will most likely be drawn to the two intricate stained glass windows on either side of the fireplace in the ballroom. Known as the Shakespeare windows, each features a Shakespearean quote. The leftmost window reads, Wide unclasp the tables of their thoughts from Troilus and Cressida. And the rightmost reads, These same thoughts people this little world from Richard II. Interesting choices of all the Shakespeare quotes. Yeah, I definitely, I had to look them up and... They're, uh, they don't seem significant in, in terms of, like, scholars analyzing Shakespeare. Like, it doesn't mm. crop up all too much um, in what I've found. So another mystery of the ballroom is an oddly placed door. And when Sarah was alive, the door was always locked and she carried the key. After her death, the staff were finally able to see for themselves what was in this strange room. There was a vault inside, so they opened that too. And inside the vault was another vault. And Rowan, what do you think this incredibly wealthy woman kept in this secret, secret vault? Oh my gosh, I feel like I knew this once upon a time. I have forgotten every object in the entire world. Um, (laughs) Okay, uh, I'm going to go with something mundane, Mm. like love letters or, um, ooh, ooh, a spooky doll. Very, very close. I think combined, you kind of got the answer, which is the hair of her husband and the hair of her baby and both of their obituaries. And that was it. Oh, no. I know. Very sad. (laughs) Oh, no is right. Oh, no is a lot of, I feel like, uh, Sarah's story. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I know. I was reading that and I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, it would be a real... I, I feel like going with your theme of making Sarah a badass, I feel like it's a real, like, that should show you for looking at my secret vault. What, do you think you're going to find some money? Like, no. I'm I'm a, I'm a sad woman. <laughs> this is what's in here. <laughs> hair inside a vault inside a vault. Yep. Just some hair and some obituaries. It's very sad. Oh, owie. Okay. I know. Um, Ready for a ghost story, Rowan? Yeah, to I am. your palate? Okay. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> there are many tours a day at the Winchester Mystery House. Some occasionally pass each other, so it wasn't uncommon to see other tour guides just kind of around. And when I visited, as I mentioned, it was during October. So there was also Halloween set pieces. And, and I think this encourages the tour guides to goof around a little bit more. And supposedly, one year around this time, a member of a tour group told the staff, we really like the actor who was repairing the ballroom fireplace. He was wearing white overalls and a Victorian boater hat. It's Clyde! Isn't that kind of fun? Clyde comes back. Oh, 
I would be so sad if I had to eternally do housework. Maybe he loves it. Maybe he, like he he's got some rock and white overalls. He's got a a apparently really cool hat and a mustache. Like, like I think he is living his best life. I think he likes it. Oh God, I would love to be that person. <laughs> oh, that to actor be Clyde. was doing such great work. <laughs> what actor? I I know. <laughs> I, I bet they wish they had the like where was the tour guide? Why did the tour guide not see Clyde? I don't Consider know. this my formal application for any and all ghosts who are listening. <laughs> Please come and haunt me. Ghosts, I would love to be haunted. <laughs> well, the the grand ballroom was the last stop on our little tour. So uh as we kind of reached the end here, uh, aside from her mansion, little was known about Sarah's life. There was only one known photo taken of her. Uh, later in life, uh, which was her just seated in the back of the carriage. Uh, Sarah died in her sleep in 1922. And with that, after 38 years, the hammering finally stopped. She was buried back in Connecticut with her husband and child, though many claim to have seen Sarah still roaming the gardens, veiled in all black. So she became a ghost too. So she didn't live forever, but she's going to be immortalized. Yeah, that's a ghost lady in the garden all right rowan so here's where we get serious uh as i think you've kind of figured out throughout this story this is everything i just told you is basically some bs so in most articles and as i did here sarah's early life describes a family suddenly struck by tragedy with the death of her daughter her father-in-law and her husband in quick succession but that was a mislead rowan i tricked you just like everybody else in all these stories After the death of baby Annie, William and Sarah were married for almost 20 years before he then died. But everybody tells it like she was suddenly stricken with tragedy. That was not the case. And during this 20 years of marriage, Sarah and her late husband oversaw the building of their residence in New Haven, Connecticut together. Oh, you are good. You you were kind of onto it. And I was like, we're just going to breeze right through because that's what everyone does. All of these articles are like, and then the husband died. (laughs) And I'm like, no, no, he didn't. That's 20. That's like 20 years in between those two deaths. But it ain't. So whatever. Uh, After William's death, Sarah didn't immediately go to a medium and go like, I'm so scared. She took a three year tour of Europe. She went on a little (gasps) European vacay. (laughs) It is during this trip that some researchers theorize that Sarah's interest in unusual architecture was piqued. Quote, Sarah's Masonic Rosicrucian interest in labyrinths would have drawn her to charters with its 11-circuit labyrinth, a puzzle-like feature that stresses the discipline of the initiatic tradition of the ancient mystery schools. Likewise, she would have found inspiration in the Freemasonic symbology and the mysterious structure, including a staircase that leads nowhere, of the Rosslyn Chapel in Scotland. And if you recall, Freemasons... Her family was also members of that. Very interesting. But I know what you're asking, Rowan. I know you're asking this. But why then would she move west? Why would she leave the family? Why then would she move west? (laughs) Why would she leave her family? (laughs) Exactly. Why would she leave the family she had if not at the advice of a medium? Do you want to actually read the questions that I wrote? I was just sassing you. Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry, Please do not be sorry. (laughs) I I can read the quotes. (laughs) Whatever you would like. Okay, Casey, but why move west then? Why leave the family she had left in Connecticut, if not on the advice of a medium? 
Rowan, what a stupid question. (laughs) Okay, first of all, there was absolutely no evidence that Sarah ever had any interest in spiritualism, as you kind of posited earlier on, Rowan. We can just rip that band-aid off. There is no evidence that she ever talked to Adam Coons or that she even felt guilty about the fact that all of her money was based on death. What we do know is that Sarah also had family on the West Coast, as I mentioned earlier, and that, along with her doctor's advice to move to a warmer climate for her ailing health, provides some sense to her westward voyage. But can we please talk about architecture? It makes no sense, Casey. It actually can be explained, Rowan, believe it or not. So we're going to go back and take a look at all the rooms and items that I covered, and I'm going to tell you why there ain't no way is ghosts. So as you've... As you suggested. So let's go back to the seance room. Barred windows were not uncommon for the time. In fact, many other windows in the house had bars on them. So doesn't make it too weird that the seance windows also did. Additionally, the bell tower that Sarah supposedly rung to signal the seance is pretty far away from the room. And there's no evidence that she ever was the one to ring it. It was really only used at noon and at 5 p.m. to alert servants that it was mealtime. Also... The door that you would open that would drop you right into the kitchen with a one-story fall probably did lead somewhere at some point, but after the earthquake, I bet that room was destroyed. And then she just built something else. So this door was no longer functional. Don't use it, I think was probably, probably her mindset there. And the door leading to the unfinished room was likely meant to be a dressing room for guests. I believe the seance room wasn't a seance room at all, but a dressing room for Sarah. So on my tour, when I went, the guide noted that there were heating vents in both the seance room and the unfinished room. I think this was perfect for people to stay warm as they changed their clothes. And it would make sense why Sarah was the only one who really used this room, if that's even true. Like, if it was her personal dressing room. And it kind of explains the wardrobe. It's a little weird, but what what's she got to worry about? And just to finish it off, Sarah never called this the seance room. There's no evidence that she ever used it for seances. And... I think she probably just called it the blue room if she called it anything at all. One, I'm so sorry that I I had actual questions during this because this big reveal is endlessly satisfying. <laughs> it's all good. I literally, as I was writing this, I was like, I'm going to have to stick to as much of a ghost story as I can because it's all some, it's all lies. So let's return to the Hall of Fire. As I mentioned, Sarah Times, Sarah Winchester was not in good health. As she aged, her arthritis grew more severe. Historians have concluded that this area must have been a makeshift sauna, just as you thought, to relieve her joint pain. Ha ha! You got it. You nailed it. And it's also the explanation for the winding staircases in the home. As Sarah aged, she could barely lift her feet up more than a few inches off the ground. This, paired with the fact that Sarah only stood 4 foot 10 inches tall, meant that the house needed to be filled with teeny tiny little steps. And to cover the distance needed, they had to twist and turn to make up the height, like how a wheelchair ramp takes more distance to get to a higher level. These stairs were known as easy risers, and they were relatively common at the time. So, as you kind of thought definitely not for ghosts it doesn't make any sense you know i didn't know the easy risers thing at all and i think that that's really cool that they at least for rich people i suppose tried to make a step towards helping people i i agree 
a step. Um, but I will also say, give some credit to the Winchester movie. While the Winchester movie definitely played into the ghost thing, they did acknowledge that the stairs were for her arthritis. So oh. I did not think they would do that, and they did. It was a it was a pleasant surprise for me. So some credit. The ghost thing works for me actually until we have ghost can't make cor- turn corners. That's just. How do you pitch that? I don't, I don't is know. it like when you go through a door and you forget what you were in the room to do? A ghost tries to around a corner and just, they have to back up like a car. They're like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't figure it out. They turn around. So let's take a look at the daisy room next and the earthquake. So it's true that after the earthquake, Sarah walled off 30 rooms, but I'm pretty sure this is because they became structurally unsound. So like I mentioned, during the tour, we could still see the damage from the earthquake. And as you also noted, as a woman with essentially unlimited funds, she could afford to just build something new instead of repairing the damage from these old rooms. And I think it's kind of like when you're working on a project and you're kind of bored of it, and then you think of a new project, and then you're more excited about that. Like, I think she was like, eh, I did daisies. It's time for something else. Like, I think she just walled it off. I love that. Like, right? Like, you got unlimited funds. It's like, oh, I really don't want to have to fix that. Just do something else. Why not? Did she have kind of the lock on the local crazy widow market during her lifetime? I think 100%. Okay, because A, that's awesome, because less people ideally would bother you. So why fix 30 rooms when you can seal them off and make people think that you're even more eccentric? Yeah, she doesn't care about it. She doesn't doesn't need that. (laughs) And just jumping to the ballroom, I mean, that wasn't too spooky overall. I feel like when we covered it, I feel like the spookiest thing is those kind of weird Shakespeare quotes. Uh, But the only thing I really can't explain is how come the number 13 appears so much. For a while, I was like, doing this research, I was like, it's just coincidence. I'm sure other numbers appear just as much. The thing that does puzzle me is why did she add that 13th little lamppost to the chandelier? That one threw me. She's got this intricate German chandelier. She adds a 13th? She could have been a superstitious woman and not been a full-on spiritualist. There are levels. Could be. And that was just the only thing I couldn't, while going through this, I, I, I couldn't figure that out. I wish it were a number that I could more easily associate with things like the 12 months of the year or... <sighs> Do you have another question for me? Oh, yeah. Uh, Casey. <laughs> Why the constant building? Calm down, Rowan. (laughs) Sarah Winchester was an incredibly wealthy, educated woman whose health made it very difficult to get around. And as I've already mentioned, her whole life, she was surrounded by architecture. Her father was a carpenter. Her husband and her oversaw the construction of their home in Connecticut. And she was likely inspired during her time in Europe. So with so much time and so little mobility, I believe Sarah took up architecture as a hobby just like you mentioned earlier. And she describes her constant construction letters stating, I have had such dreadful luck with plaster. I've tried different plasterers. I tried adamant and had two rooms done with it. I shall have it all removed from the walls and replastered. And this is about the way I progress. This just goes to show that she was experimenting, she was trying new techniques, and she had the funds to be innovative. Historians note that she was, quote, the first person to use wool for wall insulation, and she even designed her own indoor cranks to open windows. Her conservatory, which I remember from the tour, was also one of a kind in its construction. Beneath the removable wood floor were metal panels. 
and the room was built on a slight slant. So this seems very odd at first glance, but when you remove the wood and turn on the plant watering system, all of the access water could then be drained through the metal into a basin, and then you could put your wood floors back down. That's really cool. She was cool. She was like, I want to have a third floor <laughs> conservatory. I think she was slick. That level of wealth. I know. I love that she was thinking about the plaster. Oh, yes. Because she was so wealthy, she could have just said someone else fixed this, but she actually was giving it some thought. She was giving it a lot of thought. Exactly. And being untrained and having unending funds, I think her hobby is what resulted in a lot of the odd architecture. So as she built, what was once a ceiling with a skylight becomes a new room with a skylight in the floor. Oh, did an earthquake take out a room on the fourth floor? No matter, just seal up the stairwell and we'll build something else. Janan Bohem, a historian who has worked at the Winchester Mystery House almost 40 years, posits that Sarah likely took up architecture as a way to remember her late husband, stating, I think that Sarah was trying to repeat that experience by doing something they both loved. Okay, Casey, fine. She liked architecture. But wasn't she still a recluse? I'm doing so well. You're doing great. <laughs> no, I don't think she actually was. While Sarah did rarely leave the house due to her frail nature, a good number of people actually lived with her at the estate. Her niece, Marion Marriott Merriman. No. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. No. <laughs> One more time. <laughs> Marion Marriott Merriman. And just remember, William Wirt Winchester. I'm just... She was surrounded by uh, alliteration. Uh, Marion lived with her aunt from around 1890 to around 1905 when she got married, though she and her husband may have stayed with Mrs. Winchester at later dates as well. Additionally, the entire third floor of the home was dedicated to her live-in staff. On top of that, several families that worked the surrounding orchards also lived on her land. All in all, she employed around 15 house servants, 15 carpenters, 10 gardeners, and two chauffeurs. So let's talk about this staff, namely the carpenters. All of her employees were paid at least two times the going rate, but the carpenters were paid three times that. Additionally, Sarah did not hire skilled carpenters, but those that could better use the support. And counter to legend, construction did stop for months at a time, as evidenced by Sarah's letters. So it's of my personal opinion that Sarah continued to build not only as a hobby, but to support the families of those who were under her employment. So I think that's the reason why Clyde is stuck around, if he does exist. It's because Sarah's generosity resulted in an incredibly loyal staff. Oh, I like the idea of people being really well treated and getting right? to work really hard on a cool house. I know. I'm like, yeah, they had to, like, I think... I guess it's great if your hobby also makes you feel like you're supporting those around you and uh, making sure everyone was well taken care of. I feel like, you know, part of me thinks it's a bit of a crime to be that ex exceedingly wealthy. But I, I think in the scheme of things, she was trying to do some good with the money that she had. Do you think she was particularly keen on supporting carpenters because of her father's Could business? be. Could be. I, I think... Um, I think it could have been a, a, a soft spot for her. Well, do you have a question for me, Ron? Oh, yes, Casey. What about her ghost? 
I don't think that Sarah is haunting the mansion. I believe she died at peace. And in accordance with her will, Sarah donated a significant portion of her money to build a tuberculosis hospital in New Haven in her husband William's memory and generously endowed the hospital in her will. But also, as you've noted, Rowan, when a wealthy woman moves into town, starts building a weird Victorian mansion, and is rarely seen in public, you're asking for rumors to start. Rumors that I believe a man named John Brown saw opportunity in. And when Sarah died in 1922, her home was leased to John Brown, who had a background in amusement parks. Immediately, the house was made into a tourist attraction, advertising the story of an heiress who was haunted by the dead indigenous people and cowboys. The home attracted those intrigued by the paranormal, including spiritualist buster Harry Houdini in 1924. And as the years progressed, so did the legend. Mm -hmm. So in the end, I believe that we can just follow the money. A white man saw a story he could profit from and took advantage of it. Around 70 years ago, a student who wrote a similar research report to this one concluded, Legend moves through the element time, much as the party game where some sentences whispered around a circle of guests, only to appear completely changed. In the case of Sarah Winchester, it is carried either involuntarily and unconsciously by those individuals who pass it on verbally and change it so as to make themselves more important with the sensationalism of the exaggeration, or purposefully by groups who stand to gain from the propagation of the legend. So, in my opinion, the legend of the Winchester Mystery House has staying power as a direct result of those who stood to gain from its propagation, namely John Brown. I feel like I finally got to go to one of your PowerPoint parties. <laughs> this is the, so. So, for for context, I get it. Still, will sound insane after I describe it. But a PowerPoint party is basically you've got sort of three minutes or so to give a presentation on something and uh, every amount of time you go over you have to do a shot or we've as a non-alcoholic option we've had people do a ginger shot or they have to chug a seltzer which is very unpleasant for five seconds um and at these powerpoint parties i tend to do uh a historical wrongdoing like the fact that van gogh was murdered rowan he was murdered he didn't uh he died by he died suicide. by suicide. <laughs> yes, uh, story has it that Van Gogh died by suicide, but I fullheartedly believe he was murdered. There is a conspiracy theory where one of the founding fathers was a murderer. I've got I've got a lot of passionate stories about history, and as I was reading this, I was like, "Oh, this is about to become that." I was getting so mad about how they were like, "She a witch," and I was like, "It is because she has arthritis." Like it was such an insane like thing to be reading about. It made me so mad. Like as I was reading this, I'm sorry, my natural suspicion got in the way. I mean, you were right to be suspicious. And I'm sorry that my indignation for the, like, I was like, no, it's definitely ghosts. It's not because of John Brown. Like, it was. I liked it. Oh, good. <laughs> because, I mean, I, 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 if there's no evidence, everyone's like, what are you talking about, seance room? Like, like it, it's all just so silly to me. But, uh, yeah, I think the reason that this particular place is known as one of the most haunted people, people, hmm, one of the most haunted places in America is just because this amusement park guy bought it and was like, oh, she was haunted. Like, I think it all can be explained. Is it weird? Yes. Is it ghosts? I don't think so. I am going to go with absolutely she was doing her own thing. Yeah. 
having a hobby, making stairs, but I'm gonna postulate that after all these decades of people going there specifically to find ghosts and all of that hoping and wishing and they giddy tour fear, yeah, I think there might be at least just like one, one ghost. <laughs> and that ghost is Clyde. And honestly, Clyde is the <laughs> Clyde is the hero of this story to me. <laughs> uh, I bet Clyde would take John Brown out if he had the chance. Still fixing up a hot, sweaty room, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Clyde, uh, Clyde loves fireplaces. <laughs> so uh, I realized as I was writing this, I was like, I I don't have it in me to try to write you a ghost story for this place because I don't genuinely believe that there are any ghosts at the Winchester Mystery House. Nor nor did I feel like I could I could really write a long form thing from the perspective of Sarah because there isn't very much known about her. Uh, so I tried to write a little poem. I'm not claiming to be a poet. I tried to write a little poem for for enclosing here. Okay. <laughs> it has 13 lines, everyone. Okay. Yeah. I realized that's not going to carry well uh, through an audio medium, but I wanted it to be noted. <laughs> noted. All right. Here we go. Here's the poem. <laughs> Held in Castle Pomfret, King Richard weeps. Am I to be a creature alone? A captive of my solitude? A prisoner of my mind? Yet he is surrounded by company, a refraction of peculiar light, the tap of a heel, a memory of fonder times. Each thought unlocks another, and one by one, they build my world. Beauty and curiosity at every turn. A life alone, but surrounded by friends. That's my poem, Rowan. I tried to take into context the windows. Oh, thank you. Rowan's giving me a round of applause. I I tried to take in context the windows because I thought those were... She clearly picked out those quotes with a lot of thought. And breaking them down and trying to analyze what they could mean, it sounds to me like she's trying to describe that you're never really alone. And as a woman who's known for being in a big old mansion, seemingly by herself. I know she does have people around, but I imagine still a very lonely life that uh, she would be critical of King Richard at the end of Richard II, where he's like, oh, I'm so alone, there's no one here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like she, to me, I think Sarah's like, okay, maybe you are alone, but you can take comfort in that and have your thoughts people this little world. Well, Casey... Thank you. <laughs> We've never had a poem on the podcast. I, 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 <laughs> no one's ever written a poem for the podcast. I love oh, this. Oh, good. I, I, I knew I couldn't do a long form uh, creative piece as you guys so talently do every week. But I was like, 13 lines. We can, we can do that. And I did have to read a lot of Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I didn't get to look at this before you oh. told it, so I, I feel like I need to spend some time with it. <laughs> I guess I need to find a way to put this in front of people so everyone gets to see the thirteen lines. Oh. I, I maybe I'll up. make something. Maybe I could draw something up. I don't know if I could though. We'll see. Art. I I'll Art. see if I can find a sample of her writing and try to mimic it. Wow. Okay. I'm pretty good at mimicking. We'll see. What an interesting talent to specify having. Just like looking at something and being able to draw it. Okay. I was imagining you like a parrot. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like specifically, 
<laughs> seeing something and being able to make it. I, I am not um, vocally gifted. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to note, I was so confused about Castle Pomfret. I was like, surely that can't be the name. I was like, Castle Pomfret? That sounds awful. But that's the name of the castle at the end of Richard II, his prison. He was quite moody at the end of that play. He was very moody. His speech with the people, uh, these same thoughts, people, this little world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a weird speech, Rowan. That was weird. Oh, but I love that speech. Love it from a... Uh, I. You can love it. Tracy will tell you that I always go for the tortured characters that aren't necessarily doing the right thing or even good or even making sense so if it's in verse i'm i'm extra here for it oh my god i did also think at one point i was like how do i write iambic pentameter i didn't get it rowan i couldn't understand it i couldn't write the poem in iambic pentameter pentameter i I didn't get it you were going to write it in iambic pentameter (laughs) yeah because of shakespeare (laughs) all right everyone you heard it here first. Willing and Fable has the best guests ever. <laughs> well, I didn't. I couldn't do it, Rowan. I literally had to watch a video essay on, like, what is it? And I still didn't get it. No, I you get you get, get an it. A for effort. I love that. <laughs> thank I you. I love your poem. Oh, thank you. We'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if I can get something visual there. But so that my uh, seemingly unending story has finally come to its end. That is the not ghost story about Winchester Mystery House. And I, I apologize for stomping all over the ghost theme. Would you say that a seemingly unending story fits a seemingly unending house? <gasps> yes, I would. Very good, Rowan. I, I, I have exhausted myself. I, I would love to hear your ghost story for this week because I also uh, have not read your portion. So I'm, I'm very excited to be scared. All right. I'm here for you. I'm going to actually start out in reverse style to you with a story. And then we're going to go team history. Okay. All right. It's a dark night. The moon full and beaming down on the rocking black water of the harbor. Occasionally, something will make an unfamiliar noise. A wave lapping too loud, a seagull calling out. Some distant metallic sound that infuses every moment with the feeling of otherness. It's colder than you've felt in a long time. That particular maritime chill that tells some animalistic corner of your brain that this place is not your home. That you should be on guard. You inhale that bitter, salty air conspiratorially, begging the October night to fulfill its promise of excitement. You smell champagne, cologne, sweat. You've been drinking and dancing all evening. A lovely meal turned into delicious after-dinner drinks, turned into rousing dancing, turned into even more delicious after-dancing drinks. You suddenly feel cold and self-conscious wearing the cheap red fringe flapper dress you donned earlier. Your husband suggested that it would be fun to bring costumes, get into the feeling of things, he'd said. A few of the other couples in the lounge made the same choice, wearing gaudy approximations of various eras that they imagined would fit the art deco decor. 
The rich red curtains and warm wood paneling made it feel as if you'd fallen back in time. Gold accents, period coupe glasses and columns and carpets and original portholes peering out into the California night. The first class lounge makes you feel fancier than you ever have, like a member of a lost Gatsby generation reconstituted. Another woman's husband gave you swing dancing lessons, which turned out to be a great boon for everyone. His wife, a sweet blonde, waved you on while she slipped off her two tall heels and massaged her blistered feet. The energetic man taught you the steps in earnest, and your husband must have taken careful notes because you two both managed a nearly graceful laughing twirl a while later. You think your makeshift dance instructor might have caught a picture of you two dancing, and you hope to catch him later in the weekend to ask. There was a card game that involved everyone slapping the table. You didn't understand the rules, but maybe the slick fabric of your elbow-length gloves gave you an edge, because you kept winning, which meant the ladies' team kept winning, and despite the years and years since grade school, something about the rivalry made a near- manic giddiness rise in your throat. By the time you two stumbled back to your room, it felt as if you'd been filled with the ichor of the gods and you would never sleep. But then you saw the crisp white sheets of your stateroom, and somehow you both managed it. Eventually. Hours later, you awoke with a start. It felt as if the soft, rocking of the boat were jostling you awake with urgency, and the shadow in the corner of the room seemed like a man standing at the door. You blinked, and blinked again, until you could resolve the imagined shape of a young sailor into the odd shifting of the light from the small window. But you'd left your purse in the lounge. That must have been what woke you. The small clutch had your wallet in it. Perhaps if you went back now, it might still be at the table where you tucked it. Your red dress was lying on the floor, so you slipped it on quickly and quietly, hoping not to wake the gently snoring man who'd stolen all the covers in his dreaming. That's how you found yourself walking the ship alone in the silvery dark, rubbing your goosebumps and wishing you'd worn a quieter shoe. The click of your heels announced your every movement down the long, dark corridor of the deck. Well, who cares? You're not doing anything wrong. You are a guest, after all. You never see a single soul between your room and the massive salon where you'd spent your evening. The thought sends chills down your spine, and you can't sort out if you'd like to see someone or if it would make your creeping fear worse. But the Queen Salon feels better the moment you enter, as if the evening's antics left some echo of joy, even with every light out, the golden wood walls dampen the watery echo of the metallic ship, and the tables, now cleaned, still feel inviting. Trying to be quiet, but not seem suspicious should anyone come, you peer at each table in the darkened room. You're sure you left it in the corner. But it's not there. Of course it's not there. The instant 
cold sweat of having to cancel all your credit cards washes down your neck as you think of all the places it might have ended up and how you'd get your purse back. The unicorns from the room's massive mural stare down at you like ominous warnings and you swear in the midst of your racing worry that you hear, yes, just the softest sound of jazz music. You whip around, expecting to see someone cleaning with their earbuds in or a nearby light signaling some late-night musical practice. But instead you find, dancing in the corner of the room, a beautiful young woman bedecked in a white gown. She looks as if the revelry were still going, as if she were merely waiting for her date to return with a drink, or hoping someone might dance with her after all. You prepare to speak. To ask her if she's all right, if you could help her get back to her room, when her form seems to waver before your eyes. Suddenly, the chill you'd felt earlier turns into a shot down your spine, rooting you in place and forcing you into silence. But the faintest squeak of surprise escapes you. She looks up, her cloudy eyes looking through you for a moment before she seems to pull you into sharp focus. The woman in white moves forward, drifting as if continuing her dance while you can't help but stumble in place. She smiles at you, so glamorous and beautiful finery that the moment feels so crushingly sad in its specificity. There's no one here to know the effort she went to, curling her hair and rouging her lips with the forgotten technique only a woman from her time would appreciate. She reaches out gracefully, her movements so silent your ears strain to hear some clue of life. Your breath catches before you realize she's gesturing you to the nearby table where she'd first stood. There, sitting as if it had always been, is your clutch, bursting at the seams with a cell phone, a, a charger, and all the pieces of your life that feel incongruous with this moment. The young woman is gone when you turn to look back at her. There's no lilting music, no reaching hand, no clue that she'd ever appeared at all. You snatch up your purse and run as fast as you can manage down the slick wooden deck to your room. You feel, as you did only as a child, that to look behind you in the darkness would be to meet death again and be swallowed. It is terrifying to have seen and unseen the woman in the lounge. But when you're curled in bed, safe and warm, and hearing a living person you love breathe beside you, you think to yourself, what keeps her here? And why is she so sad? Just as you wonder if you saw her at all, you wonder if she ever saw you. You just met the White Lady of the RMS, Queen Mary. Yikes, dog. I mean, she seems nice. The best part of that was that you were acting it out the oh, whole yes. time I was talking. 
I put myself on mute. I was I was really drawn in by this story. I was like, yes, I am. That does sound like me. I would overstuff my purse and be like, I'm going to squeeze it in this like little section here. No one's going to find it. Like, <laughs> I did get chills when the ghost was like, and here is your purse, idiot. Like, I was like, yes, I love I love the white lady of the RMS Queen Mary. Yay. I need a helpful ghost to help me find my belongings, too. Yeah, I'm a big fan of her work. The whole reason I have a new water bottle right now is because I left mine. Uh, like, I don't go out. We're in a pandemic and I had to go get blood work done. And don't you know, leave my water bottle. I was like, where could it be? I don't go anywhere. And I'm like, oh, I did go to one place. And if only the white lady was with me, she would have been like, hey, <laughs> turn around, idiot. Go, go get your water bottle. Come on. Cue jazz music. Turn around. <laughs> yeah, jazz music starts playing and you know that means you forgot something. I, I, I really like that story. I'm ready to learn more about the white lady because I don't know anything about, about this chick. All right. So... My story today was voted one of Time Magazine's top 10 most haunted places in the world. It is one I have also visited. It is also in California. So we have a theme. We said the theme is California ghosts. That's so rad, dog. I love it. <laughs> California ghosts. Is that how people talk their own? Is that how you sound? 100%. <laughs> I've always thought that about you. <laughs> So now we're going south a little bit to the RMS Queen Mary, or the ship nicknamed the Stateliest Ship Afloat, or the Grey Ghost. But again, in reverse to you, I don't know how this happened. We're going to do some history before we do some spooky. I'm excited. The RMS Queen Mary was a ship in the Cunard White Star Line, having been conceived as a Cunard brainchild and only coming to fruition after the Great Depression led to the Cunard White Star merger. Known to be bigger and faster than the Titanic, this thousand-foot ship served as a host for glamorous celebrities as well as the Allied forces in World War II. Isn't White Star also the makers of the Titanic? You betcha. So so from the makers of the Titanic comes the RMS Queen Mary. Not a great, uh, not a great start for them. <laughs> <laughs> so construction began in 1930 in Clyde, Scotland. Clyde, just saying. <gasps> oh my god, <laughs> he's back. <laughs> but the catastrophic economic downturn caused problems between 1931 and 1934. She finally took her maiden voyage on May 27, 1936. On the day of the ship's launch, English psychic Mary Mabel Fortescue Harrison predicted... The Queen Mary will know her greatest fame and popularity when she never sails another mile or carries another fair-paying passenger. But no one would know how true these words would be until many years later. Casey, I want to be able to tell you that this quote is not true and have some bigger, better reveal, but I, by all accounts, this may have happened. I, that quote gave me chills. Listen, I know I was a big naysayer in my story. And I think in that case, it wasn't true. But, I mean, this is pretty weird. This is pretty <laughs> odd. Like, that's pretty crazy that uh, Mrs. Longest Name in the World was able to predict that. That's crazy. To quote the Queen Mary official website, Legend has it that the board of directors at Cunard had decided to name the ship the Queen Victoria, which would have been in keeping with the tradition of Cunard ships having the Ia suffix, Mauritania, Aquitania, 
Berengaria. As per protocol, legend states that the Cunard directors went to ask King George his blessing of the ship's proposed name, saying, We have decided to name our new ship after England's greatest queen, meaning Queen Victoria, the king's grandmother. Upon which the king is reported to have stated, My wife, Queen Mary, will be delighted that you are naming the ship after her. love the idea of these executives whatever saying that to the king and them saying oh my wife will love that and everyone has to go yes yes your wife that's what we were trying to do someone was kicked under a table with that somebody got kicked for for saying like this his little line about the greatest queen they're like you idiot like why'd you do that oh god that is hilarious okay we're starting strong with Cunard. <laughs> While we're on the topic of names, for any listeners who are less maritime-minded, when a ship carries the prefix RMS for Royal Mail Ship or Royal Mail Steamer, it is under contract to the British Royal Mail. The RMS Titanic is another famous ship that held this distinction, having a famous post office on board. Is it that famous? Is the post office a famous part about the Titanic? Well, every part of the Titanic is oh, sort that's of fair. That's fair. Famous. It's just. It's also featured in the movie, I believe. Unless I'm losing my mind and I've watched too many documentaries. You know what, Rowan? What I consider famous about the Titanic might not actually be because I will watch every Titanic documentary that I can access. I. This is really stupid. Uh, uh, I've only ever seen the end. I've never seen the beginning of the Titanic. I've literally only seen the part once the ship starts sinking. That's when I joined in. I'm sorry. You only joined in for Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) Not purposefully. And Kate Winslet with the door. It's just whenever it was on TV. It would just only be on once the ship starts sinking. And I know some guy is uh, in a room with a fireplace, maybe? Yeah. You missed the romantic part about the... The arms out and the I trust you. And the mailroom. Yeah, I missed that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting dragged. The mailroom, she puts her hand up. I missed that part of the post office. The steamy hand on the door in the car? (laughs) I think it was the post office. I think it was the it was the British Royal Mail Post Office on the Titanic. You know what, Casey? Because you don't care at all about the Titanic. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you some facts comparing the Queen Mary to the Titanic. (laughs) I'll take the facts. I'll put on my dunce cap and I'll listen to your facts. I'm going to punish you with knowledge. (laughs) That's fair. Okay. Since I think everyone else on the planet sort of has a small knowledge of the Titanic. Uh Let's do some comparisons. So we can picture this. The Queen Mary was first sailed 24 years after Titanic, coming in at 81,237 gross tons to the Titanic's 46,328. The Queen Mary had 12 decks to its predecessor's nine. Of all the measurements, the most noteworthy is 24 lifeboats, 
for 3,266 passengers on the Queen Mary, that is every person aboard, the Titanic carried 20 lifeboats for 1,178, less than the total capacity of the ship. Rowan, I'm not good at math. You're saying 24 was good, but 20 was bad? This is what I read. I (laughs) also had a... But okay, it occurred to me, though, that... The Queen Mary is quite a bit bigger, so perhaps the lifeboats are also quite a bit bigger and floatier. I just said bigger and floatier to explain that. So Didn't even sound remotely you, wrong to me. That's not, I was like, yeah, they're bigger and they're floatier. That's it. It is fact. Let's <laughs> moving on. <laughs> to quote Legends of America, which, by the way, if I had to recommend only one article on our faithful ship, the Queen Mary, it would be this one. Quote, for three years, the Grand Ocean Liner hosted the world's rich and famous across the Atlantic, including the likes of the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, Greta Garbo, Clark Gable, David Niven, Mary Pickford, George and Ira Gershwin, and Sir Winston Churchill, just to name a few. Considered by the upper class to be the only civilized way to travel, she held the record for the fastest ever North Atlantic crossing. In 1939, the beginning of World War II marked the end of luxury travel for the time being. She was painted gray for camouflage, earning that faithful nickname the Gray Ghost, and her luxurious interior was refitted for wartime. Quoting Legends of America again, During this time, her capacity was increased from 2,410 to 5,500. By the end of World War II, The ship had carried more than 800,000 troops, traveled more than 600,000 miles, and played a significant role in virtually every major Allied campaign. She had also survived a collision at sea, set the record for carrying the most people ever on a floating vessel at 16,683, and participated in the D-Day invasion. I like to imagine... Despite the fact that the luxury would not be there anymore, that the sailors who were aboard this ship got to kind of, you know, think to themselves, I'm on the Queen Mary. Yes, they're going to war. Yes, life is horrible. But just like the soldiers that bunkered down at whiskey distilleries during the war, (laughs) I like to think that this might have been a small modicum of joy. Yeah, maybe they never got to be on a boat before. Like, maybe that's like super cool. A boat they let nonetheless a boat they could send mail on. <laughs> I'm done with you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> they probably didn't have the post office anymore. They had to cut it out because they fit sixteen thousand plus people on this boat. Mm-hmm. It was only supposed to have less than four thousand. Mm-hmm. That's insane. I'm willing to bet, though, that the lifeboat situation safety protocol went out the window during wartime. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're like, eh, we might we might lose you anyway. Oh, no. No, that's not the take they would have? No, I mean, yes, but oh, no. Yeah, I guess I'm in a dark mood. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... I wonder what luxuries they had to remove to fit that many more people in. Like, what is the heaviest, do you think, of the junk 
that they had that was just for lux- just for luxurious purposes. Okay, so I have been on the Queen Mary. Oh right, m- more than a few times. Uh, I was lucky enough to do a photo shoot there once that was so cool. Uh, for Whoa. yeah, it was in period uh, 1920s 1930s garb. <gasps> just like the story. Yes, it was very cool. Um, and then I. When I first got out of college, I was doing background work on films, and I was on a film that shot there. The ship is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And there's every beautiful thing that you could imagine wanting in the decor is there. Like the wood paneling, the the Tiffany-style, like... Windows? (laughs) I don't actually think they had any Tiffany windows, but I, I oh. don't know that for sure. Well, Sarah, if Sarah was there, they would. They have these massive lights that are all carved out of the same stone so that they match. Whoa. They had a projectors that would go behind the unicorn mural in the Queen's Salon so that they could show movies and films. That's really slick. Yes, there's curving wooden staircases. The The rooms were absolutely stunning it's everything you could imagine wanting and i imagine it was all taken out (laughs) all of your descriptions keep making me think of the hotel from the shining i know that's not okay okay the same but like the big staircase and the jazz live in that world because kind of okay kind of yeah i mean the the song at the end has been playing in my head the whole time you've been talking well you know just that old I don't want to say old-timey because it's so general, but when things have that flavor of being before so much of the technology we have access to now, what was considered comfortable did not involve air conditioning in any way. They had electric fireplaces for safety, and it was a big deal. Oh, so maybe the sailors got to enjoy some of that. And, you know, the ship had... First class, second class, third class, very specific areas that people could go. Oh, I see. I haven't been through every possible part of the ship, but Mm -hmm. not unlike you'd imagine, there are parts that are much more glamorous than others. Sure. Uh, For example, in that first class salon, they they never served dinner in there because it was just for tea and playing oh. bingo and having <laughs> organ music and live classical orchestras and I was waiting for the organ to come into play. If they had a heavy organ on this boat, that thing's got to go. They hired Sarah Winchester's ghost. <laughs> and headlining tonight, Sarah Winchester and Clyde performing on the organ. Along the lines of the glamorous cruise ship Before being refurbished and resuming her life as a cruise liner in July of 1947, the Queen Mary would perform one more duty for the troops. After the war, the ship made 13 trips known as Bride and Baby Voyages to transport more than 22,000 war brides and children to Canada and the United States. That's sweet. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's part of that whole war bride situation that happened when troops were overseas for quite a long time war bride sounds like you're about to sounds like a video game character war bride i know that's not what it is it sounds like a future DD npc (laughs) we're just gonna come up with a bunch of them 
Cruise liners were beginning to fall out of fashion by the early 1960s as air travel became increasingly alluring and affordable. With new ships boasting air conditioning, outdoor swimming pools, and other modern touches, the Queen Mary was beginning to operate at a loss. The ship was retired in 1967 and sold for $3.45 million, the cost of a modest Hollywood mansion, to the city of Long Beach. Here, she remains a luxurious hotel and attraction, permanently docked after 1,001 Atlantic crossings. It's a pretty good number. Now let's talk about ghosts. Ah. There are an estimated 150 known spirits that haunt the RMS Queen Mary. Whoa! That's almost as many rooms at the Winchester Mystery House. That's a crazy amount of ghosts. And six kitchen ghosts. Um, (laughs) 49 deaths over a 60-year period no doubt helped ghost stories on this ship gain a ton of traction. While we definitely cannot explore 150 ghosts in one episode, I have collected a selection of the most famous hauntings. I love that you and I stuck to roughly the same Break layout. It down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can't. <laughs> when you get to over 100 things, you, you can't name them all. You just can't. I wanted to talk to you about the hair art that she had, but that had to get nixed. Oh, was it dead people hair art? 100%. I... I'm here for the memento mori. <laughs> That's a, yeah. She, it was it was nasty. They had that up. It, it was gross. I did not how like do you, it. How do you know it was gross? I saw it. I went. I was there. Yeah, but what made it gross? I, I didn't like that it was human hair, Rowan. I didn't like <laughs> that. I it wasn't. I didn't, I didn't like it. You I'm think really she's got a beautiful <laughs> defending this human hair art. Ugh. You think it's a beautiful floral pattern, and the tour guide's like, look closer, Casey. And I was like, all right, sir, I trust you. And it was just a bunch of hair. It was very common during that time period. Was it the hair of her loved one that had passed? No. I Well, see, the I, the the hair art that they had up was stuff that they had bought to fit nah, with the room. son of a but gun. Maybe, maybe. I mean, could have been. But they were like, she probably had this. And I was like, ah, I wish she didn't. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) Speaking of hair art, Casey, let me transition into something that has nothing to do with hair art. Oh, okay, good. The Lady in White, featured in my story, was absolutely based on real people's story of paranormal encounters. Known to haunt the Queen's Salon, the first-class ballroom, which hosted the live music tea games I was discussing. Right, that place. This massive, ornate space is the perfect example of why the ship is known as the Ship of Beautiful Woods, boasting cherry mahogany, maple burl, and more. Let's talk about carpentry. (laughs) This ghost is a beautiful young woman dressed in equally beautiful white dress who dances alone in the corner of the room. I feel as if nearly every haunted place in the world has a story of a sad, beautiful woman in white, so that's why I couldn't resist. Have you seen Always Sunny, Rowan? In Philadelphia? Yeah. I've seen bits. The characters can't dance. I'm imagining her dancing like Sweet D, which is like the inflatable thing. (laughs) (laughs) What if she was dancing real dumb? That would just be, that'd be fun for me. 
No, Gazy, she's tragic and moody. <laughs> what if she's just having a good time? I'm like... <laughs> it's true. You don't really hear about silly spirits very often. Yeah, yeah. If I become a ghost, I'm just going to be... I'm going to be pulling pranks and... and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pulling out ghost chairs out from under people. That's my plan. You know, I didn't include this originally in my collection of ghost stories, but there was a ghost, or there is, I suppose, a ghost on the Queen Mary who everyone calls Grumpy, a former employee who is known for grumbling at people. I love Grumpy. He growls. Oh, my God. He's, he's the opposite of Clyde. Clyde's like, you're fixing this wrong. Let me do it. And Grumpy's just growling at people trying to have fun. All right. I love Grumpy. All right. If I'd known you were here for silly ghosts. <laughs> oh, I love Casper. So let's talk about stateroom B340. It is arguably the most famous haunted part of the ship. Though it was once close to visitors, it is now available as a hotel room that guests can book if you'd like to be awoken by a spirit in the night. The Queen Mary's website says of the stateroom, there is a large volume of recorded paranormal activity with many stories of haunted encounters noted in the ship's logs. In 1948, Walter J. Adamson, a third-class passenger, passed away in the stateroom. The cause of his death was unknown. In 1966, a guest in B340 says that she was awoken in the night when the covers were pulled off her bed by a man standing at the foot and staring at her. She let out a terrified scream and rang for the steward, but the mysterious man vanished before anyone arrived. To this day, guests report midnight door knockings, faucets that turn on and off, covers being ripped from them, and an ominous figure standing in the shadows. Is that the guy from your story? Yeah, yeah, I had to hint a little oh bit. Oh my god. I was so excited about the sailor boy. I want to stay in that room so badly, but also I know it would be the worst night of sleep of my life. I, as, I guess, a hater, I don't know. I would only want to stay in the room to be like, best night's sleep of my life. I love sleeping on this boat. Come get me ghosts. I, I think I'd be taunting them. I, uh, that's probably not good. I don't want ghosts to haunt me. Please don't. Moving on in our tour to the first and second class swimming pools. Due to California state codes, the ship's pools have been closed for over three decades. However, they seem to be the main hangout for a large number of ghosts on board who apparently missed the memo. Some see a woman in a tennis skirt in the area or someone in a 1930s swimsuit. They even hear splashing or see mysterious wet footprints in the surrounding halls. Most terrifying of all are two young girls who haunt the second-class pool, which seems to be the preferred locale for many of the child ghosts of the RMS Queen Mary. Jackie is one of the ghostly young girls known for laughing as she plays by the pool. The story goes that she drowned in the pool and will not leave it. But Cher Garman, paranormal investigator, points out that there are no known drownings documented on the Queen Mary. Garman does, however, affirm that the child's spirit is there. Another story describes a young woman named Dana who was murdered alongside her family in room B-412. 
474. Her little sister and mother were strangled in bed, and Dana was shot to death in the bathroom. You would think that this tragedy would make B-474 the most haunted stateroom on the ship, but Dana is known to spend her time by the pool. Uh, uh, How did that not shut down the cruise line? This sounds like a grisly, awful murder. How did that not put them out of business? I, listen... Do I have actual newspaper articles confirming these stories? No. Have a lot of people repeated them for long enough that they seem true? Maybe. This is ghost story land. Yeah, you're right. I forgot. Um, R.I.P. Dana. Enjoy your time at the pool, babe. Have a good time. Next, we're going on to the boiler room, which immediately sounds spookier. In the ship's lower depths, Things are definitely not getting any less spooky. In the boiler room, the remains of a worker named John Henry are said to have been discovered. Some have seen his shadowy figure between the boiler and the green rooms, and he's known to audibly respond to discussions about beer. Honestly, probably the coolest ghost on board. (laughs) I would want to meet him. I bet he and Clyde would get along. I think Mm -hmm. they'd have fun. Mm Mm-hmm. So the Queen Mary, every Halloween except this one, hosts an event called Dark Harbor, where they turn the Queen Mary and the surrounding harbor into a haunted house attraction. So there's a bunch of haunted mazes running through different parts of the ship, and there's rides and fair food, and so many thousands of people go during Halloween. And I went last year... And as our last maze of the night, we went through the one that goes through part of, yeah, part of underneath the ship. I don't know that it was this specific boiler room, as it is quite a large ship, but it was spooky. Oh, God. But I'm not saying spooky like I saw a ghost. I'm just saying it's a boiler room. It's dark. In a, yeah, in a Mm. dark ship when you're by yourself. You were by yourself? It was the end of the night and almost everybody had gone back and we were sticking around because the lines were so long that we were happy to be able to catch one more. It was fun spooky. It was good spooky. I love a fun spooky. The Haunted Mansion is like one of my favorite places. The the Tower of Terror. I love some fun spooky. Mm, There was this employee who did an excellent job of propping himself just in the corner so the light was shining on him and you could see him, but then he'd, like, move and you couldn't see him. That's so fun. I love it. I love that, too. So now we're going to hatch door number 13. Tons and tons and tons and tons of films are shot on the Queen Mary. I was so excited Last evening, when I found out that Hatch Door 13 was used in the filming of the movie The Poseidon Adventure. Have you ever seen it? Mm-mm. No, ma'am. Okay. It's an old one. It's a top-notch film. The first time I watched it, I was with my mom, and we would try to hold our breath anytime the characters were underwater because the ship was sinking. I love that. It makes, yeah, it makes the ship movie way more fun. But it turns out, Hatch Door 13 had a real scary tragedy happen at it. So the most recent death aboard the Queen Mary was that of 18-year-old Yorkshire native John Peddler. 
This earned him the nickname Half Hatch Harry. His name's John. Yep. (laughs) Poor kid. Okay, I'm so sorry. Though tales differ slightly, one story says that while playing chicken with door 13 in the shaft alley, John was pinned by the closing of the hatch. The crew freed him, and he was taken to the hospital and given morphine, but his crush injuries were too extensive. With massive damage to his arms, chest, pelvis, and a possible brain injury, the young man died shortly after. Guests describe having seen him haunting the area, still wearing his blue overalls. He leaves greasy smudges on the walls, even on some people's faces. And though brave investigators might follow him for a time, he always seems to disappear when he reaches hatch door number 13. I don't like him. (laughs) Why? Why is he leaving smudges on everybody? Stop it. I I get why they were like, you know what? We're calling you Harry. And that's your punishment, John. Johnny boy. Stop putting dirt on people. I don't like him. (laughs) Maybe he's just pissed that he's stuck on the Queen Mary. Where is he getting the dirt from? It's ghost smudges. How come there can be ghost chairs and not ghost oily (laughs) smudges? (laughs) You know what? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. The hypocrisy. (laughs) That's who I am. Uh, (laughs) I have no defense. To close out, I will say I cannot recommend visiting the Queen Mary highly enough. It is such a wonderful place to experience that an estimated 50 million people have gone to the Queen Mary during her time in Long Beach. You can visit for non-spooky activities. It's listed on the National Register of Historic Places and has tons of history and hotel fun to offer. But let's be honest, you want spooky fun. Maybe with history, but like still spooky. So the ship offers the haunted encounter during the day or the paranormal ship walk at night. If you want to stay in stateroom B340, rates start at $499 per night, and the hotel will, quote, supply a chest with unique items available for guests to amplify their overnight haunt experience, including a Ouija board, tarot cards, and a crystal ball. I totally thought it was going to be like beer in case you want to talk with what's his name. That's a little thing of grease if you want to get half half hatch Harry's attention. That'd be fun. Right? I've actually never been on one of their haunted tours. I've only oh. been to the Halloween event and then during the day. It's it's a gorgeous ship. Huh. There you go. I uh, I've never seen a ghost though, so you you've got it. You've got to get the overnight haunt experience. It sounds like we we had an opportunity to lie about having seen ghosts on our both of our tours. We could have just been like, ah, yes, those ghosts, and we both chose to be like, nope. We saw nothing. That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> tell them the truth. I like it. At least you know we're honest. Yeah. So that'll do it for our stories today. Uh, I want to add, I'm really excited about this. At the top of the last episode and this one, we ran a promo for a pod friend of ours, Classic Kevin. We love the Mirths and Monsters podcast that he hosts. It is 
family-friendly and so fun. We cannot say enough good things about it. Please check them out. And if you enjoy the podcast as much as we know that you will, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. That makes all the difference for creators, and we all so appreciate you taking a moment to do that. You guys are the best cult on the internet, so we're excited for our friends to meet our pod friends. So check out Mirths and Monsters. Classic Kevin does an amazing job. Casey, do you know that at the end of every podcast, we make people say good things about their life? I do know that. Okay. <laughs> do you want to go first or do you want me to buy you some time? Ooh, I, I already know mine, but I, I do want to hear what you've got. So, uh, Rowan, tell me something good. Ooh. Okay. So, well, I have two things. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go crazy with two things. Oh, my God. First, I have now, finally, after all this time, become quite addicted to Discord most especially because it allows me to share memes and silliness with Tracy and with all the other lovely people on the internet. And I always thought that I wasn't as big on technology. It turns out I just hadn't found the right technology. But more importantly, a real world thing. Starting last week, I started going to my local farmer's market. Ooh. And... They do such a good job. Everyone wears masks Mm -hmm. and only the people who own the stand touch all the things. Mm -hmm. And so some of my quarantine pod friends and I have started going and I found gluten-free focaccia bread. Ooh. And that's a big deal for me. That sounds amazing. (laughs) I love focaccia. I've been watching the Great British Baking Show. They just made focaccia and I was like, oh. I can't watch that show. It makes me so hungry. But if you've got your gluten-free focaccia bread from the farmer's market, like, on hand, maybe it's, like, it's snack time. I actually went this morning, and I had gluten-free banana bread. Ooh. I don't only like bread, I swear. It's I just... only like bread. Oh, I don't know okay. if it caught on okay, the mic. Cool. My stomach just growled right as I said that. So we're all in agreement here. <laughs> okay, if you could only eat one kind of bread for the rest of your life. Now, that's a hard choice, Rowan. This is going to really be a thinker. I, mean, I take this very seriously because I, I, I am an insane bread fan. So it would have to be versatile. It'd have to be a good bread. Yes. Yeah. Because beer bread, you can't use that for a sandwich. But I really like beer bread. But you, that, 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 it'll fall apart. You can't use that on a sandwich if you want a sandwich. Right. This is hard. Oh, I got it. It's a very... Sourdough. Oh, ugh. Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, because you can do like the More balsamic oil or a sandwich. No, if if okay. I like sourdough bread, I think that would be a really great choice. But um, it do be sour though, and uh, I don't like that. But more for you if you if you're a sourdough fan. I think I'm going to go with one of those multi-grain ones that has got like the seeds and like the actual Ugh. grains inside it. I I really I really like. Is that, was that a you don't like it? Ugh. Or no, you like it was it? a yes. I love it in the fall time. Mm-hmm. Wegmans. Wegman's oh, really? grocery store does one that has craisins and it's got just mm. the tiniest little dusting of sugar on top of it. Oh, it's like a sweet. So a it's sweet really, one. yeah, it's ah. like a sweet version of that. And because I can't have it anymore, probably I have raised it onto this pedestal mm. of bread, you know. I, you know what? Maybe if you buy from this farmer's market stand enough, you can just be like, listen, I have a request. <laughs> <laughs> Try to emulate this, please. 
I would commit a murder or build a door into nowhere if I could just have a gluten-free croissant. Oh. I I I wonder if that is possible. I don't know, but this is well, where we're we'll at. We'll have to work on that so you don't have to uh, make a seven-story mansion or kill somebody. Right, right. I digress. <laughs> I digress. Casey, 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 tell me something good. I slaved over this, Rowan. It took me a long time trying to figure out what do I think is important enough as my... Because 2020 is a black void? Uh, it is a black void. It definitely is. But I was like, there there are quite a few good things. And I was like, if this is my chance as a co-host, I've got to pick something good. What is it going to be? I've really worked hard on it. And I've decided it's Paranorman. Uh, this is... A- <laughs> This is a flick Are you I'm kidding me. Yeah, I've decided out of all the things in the world, uh, something good is the fact that I saw Paranorman for the first time last night. Uh, uh, my roommate and listener, uh, Emily, uh, we decided we, we love wanted Emily. something. Yes, uh, we wanted something. <laughs> I think we we literally searched horror movies for people who hate horror, and Paranorman came up, and I was like, "All right, yeah, let's do it." It is a great flick, everybody. I highly recommend Paranorman. There is a character in it. His name is Neil. He's the best. It's a great movie. It's a bad year. So I, I recommend taking some time watching uh, Paranorman and uh, and forget your woes for a moment. And uh, <laughs> I think I think it's good. All for right. That. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll get that up on the recommendations page for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Maybe maybe if everyone watches Paranorman, you can host a <laughs> silly fun time on the discord. <laughs> <laughs> silly fun time brought to you by uh, this chaos agent that i that i am <laughs> agent of chaos all right well you heard it here first casey <laughs> is our local agent of chaos but she's also an angel because she jumped on to be oh. my co-host and tell spooky firsthand stories about the winchester mystery house casey i'm so grateful I, I I had a blast. Thank you for having me. This this was really fun. Um, and it, it, it I felt bad when I was I was like, okay, ghost story. Here we come. And I was like, mine uh, ain't about ghosts. But I I feel like yours was so spooky. <laughs> I feel like it 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 brought it brought it, we ended on a spooky note. I think that was that was what was important. It was lightly spooky. I was scared. I got chills multiple times. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. I was waiting on how to fit that in here, and I was so mad I couldn't. And Rowan. You did it. You did it right at the (laughs) end there. I love it. All right. On that note, thank you so much for joining us. And remember, if you like what we do, tell a friend. Casey, say or tell a foe. Or tell a foe. (laughs) And we'll see you soon. Okay. (laughs) Casey, you did it. Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. 
and check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of ancient myths, local legends, and stories with staying power.